Following Friday night's game at Tranmere, there weren't too many positive messages. We will start with Ben Benson, who believed it was footballers going through the motions. No pattern, no plan, no shots on target, and Tranmere weren't even that good. Those thoughts were echoed by Alex Smith. Poor game, no identity, no teamwork, poor marking, no connection throughout the team. Andy O'Neill thinks crew were extremely nice to play against and found the game utterly boring. Mark Bertels believed that was a team regressing very quickly. Ollie Dean was unimpressed with the starting 11 and how they played, but then thought the subs somehow made it even worse. Grant simply thought it ruined a potentially good weekend. Andy Kinnear thought the game all swung on the first 10 minutes of the second half. If CBR scores, we get a point. Instead, the game slid away after conceding again. Jonathan Ditt thought the fans were the best part of Friday, but is worried that a year ago, Crew lost 3-0 at Fleetwood, and it looks like nothing has really changed. Daz also thought that felt like a game from last season. If this continues, he thinks fans will start to turn. Dave Gallagher also asks, stick or twist with Morris, and is worried if a few leave in January, or with a couple more injuries, we could be in real trouble. Chris Mason thinks the jury is still out on Morris, but this game was utter dross. Richie B has the alarm bells ringing after one win in nine and three of the four wins this season coming against the current bottom three. Rob Yarwood, on the other hand, says he trusts Morris and thinks the book stops with Grant for selling all the players at once. Ian Perry mentions both manager and chairman, saying Morris's gloss has already started to wear thin and his initial opinion of Grant being a great chairman is wrong. Captain Britain thought last year's vampires had returned as crew were back to not coping with crosses. Graham Miles thought that result has been coming after recent performances, but crew made it too easy for them. The only positive being Tabernet, who tried to get the ball down and pass. Hello and welcome to the Railway Men podcast. Now, this is a, a different episode of the podcast this week because, first of all, we're recording live on Saturday afternoon from Crew Market Hall, very lovely venue. And obviously, that means that our normal host, Stu, can't be with us here today. We couldn't afford to fly him in, so it means that you're stuck with me, Tim Robinson. With me, I have a number of guests. I have James Tate, Steve Bennett, Tom Mayle, and Mark Bertels. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon. Right, let's get straight into the action. James, Steve, and Tom, you were at the game last night, Mark. You were watching on iFollow. James, what did you make when you saw the lineup? Um, obviously, disappointing initially that um, Awakwe missed out. Um, obviously, Lesha Bala came in and Tabana for his first start as well. Um, delighted to see Tabana on the on the team sheet. Um, I thought he showed that link, he showed that spark when he came on uh, last weekend. Um, obviously, it's a big occasion for him, but um, delighted to see him start. Um, and then Lesha Bala, obviously, we've only seen limited minutes from him so far. So again, happy for him to have his, his chance. Um, but I was a bit concerned um, about how we were going to stamp authority on the game with Leshebala um, and Tabana. And, uh, yeah, well, what, what we went on to see really brought that home. 
And Tom, it was a it was a pretty decent away following, wasn't it? It was fantastic. It's just a shame that the size of the away following seems to be inversely proportional to the performance of the team at lots of these away games these days. And what did you make to the start, Steve? The start of the actual game was, um, <clears throat> well, it was workmanlike, if nothing else, wasn't it? Um, like so many of the other recent um, games, I think we, we were lacking that creativity and it's almost becoming an accepted that um, we'll keep it tight and then sort of try and open up as the game goes on. But I think, you know, in hindsight, we all know it didn't necessarily go that well. Yeah, it certainly didn't. And um, the first goal when it came, Steve, after about 20 minutes or so, it seemed to be poor defending from a from a corner, basic stuff at the front post. Well, this is it, yeah. And it, it was, for want of better words, under eights defending. Um, it, at under eights at kids' football, you would put somebody on that near post that would cut that ball out. Interestingly, I think it's Lesh Bella that actually it almost goes through to get to the, gar- to the goal scorer on the near post. But soft isn't the word. You shouldn't be conceding goals like that, in, in my opinion. It's, um, it's, it was too easy. And sadly, um, I don't think we ever really recovered. No, I don't think we did. Mark, you weren't there. You were watching on iFollow. The first half was pretty disappointing, I thought. I didn't think we really got into the game. Was Tranmere really good, or was it just a really poor display from us? Uh, it was a really poor display from us. I think Alex Morris is, um, one thing I like about him is how honest he is in his interviews. And he's acknowledged <clears throat> more than once now that the lack of a attacking threat that we pose. And when we lined up with 4-3-3, I was quite excited, actually. Um, I thought that Connor Thomas would sit and that the other two would be given licence to get forward a bit more. But there was no evidence whatsoever uh, at any point in that first half that we'd worked on anything that was going to make us more attacking uh, during the week in training. Can I just jump in there, um, Mark? I, I agree with you there. And I think that one of the, one of the features, actually, of last night was the fact that, or rather, the lack, complete lack of our midfield. I don't think at any stage in the evening that we had anything resembling a midfield that got any hold in the game. I don't think that we had any enterprise. And, you know, without wanting to sort of jump back into former players and stuff. That game was crying out for somebody, the likes of Tom Lowry, who can put a foot on the ball. He's happy to receive the ball, turn and try and thread a ball through. We seem to be lacking anybody who was willing to sort of take that responsibility and to take that risk, to be honest. Alex Morris has talked a lot about, you know, the process and the fact that, you know, the football will come and, you know, the first quarter of the season is all about being hard to beat. Where are we in that process now? I think it's a good point, and I think I've I've gone on the record even a couple of weeks ago saying that I I agree to a certain degree with that principle. The rot had to be stopped from last year because we were that bad. But that's great while it's nil-nil, while while you're able to grind out those nil-nils and the odd one-nil victory doing that. But... When you've got a, an academy like Cruz that's built on enterprising footballers who can put their foot on the ball and are wanting to play technically, I think you've got a finite amount of time and that honeymoon period, I think, is running out. 
So do you think he should be throwing the academy kids in now or even if they're not necessarily ready? I mean, Sabina played last night. It's it's a difficult a difficult question, isn't it? And are they are they already probably not or would he have more sympathy from other fans um if if he had done probably it's a difficult one and that's why we're not getting paid the big bucks i guess but to me last night almost has to become a a fo- a point where we either reset or we or we change a little bit because to me last night was was not good yeah. up until last night i was trying to because i think it's it's easy to be negative after every game and i don't like doing it um because it's with the benefit of hindsight and anybody can pick faults with what you've just seen and i was trying to convince myself that alex morris had put together a team that um where everybody did the job well but there was nobody that was a real flair player so apart from Dan Adji, maybe we'll get you off the edge of your seat now and again. There was nobody else. So they were doing the jobs and doing them well, but there was no creativity. Now, obviously, last night that's changed. We don't look, well, we didn't look solid anymore. Um, Tabitha tried to be creative, but bearing in mind it's his debut. And if that becomes a trend, then that's really worrying because then we're stepping into last season's territory. And we all know that once you get in that rut, it can be impossible to get back out of. Yeah, just to jump in there about about the sort of going forward and the threat. I think Tom, you came up with with the with the figures, the XG figures from last night. Yeah, so at half time our XG was 0. 0.02, which kind of says it all really. Full time 0.29. So you have to say that the final score you know, wasn't too much of a surprise on the evidence. Am I right in saying we didn't have a shot on target last night? I think we had one. Okay. Not according to Sky's uh, figures, it was zero. But I, I think if, if you if you kind of half count the um, the Tabina miss hit spinning one from the edge of the box, then then it's one. But um, I don't think they counted that as a shot, and I'm not sure it would even have got to the line. James, you uh, you said you were excited about seeing Tabina in the lineup. How did he do for you? Um, I mean, it's his first start. Obviously, we know he's a little bit lightweight. Um, so we, we always knew there's a bit of a risk there but being a big game he was up against a physical athletic left back as well who I thought handled him extremely well um, but yeah I thought he, he did really try to be that creative spark which we had been missing he had some success but again also had moments of naivety which we see from all academy players coming through um, and yeah I, I don't think it helped with him being moved around in the second half. Um, to be honest, I didn't quite get that move, moving him into the middle. Um, and Morris's comments after the game, saying he's trying to get as many creative technicians onto the pitch and into, um, well, into play. Um, I didn't really see how that was, that was ever going to work. And I, I struggled to see how we could have practiced that in training. That, that team that finished the game... I just can't understand how we could have, have trained with that team and they had no structure whatsoever. Um, but taking Tabana in an isolated performance, I thought he did extremely well. Um, obviously moments that he'll learn from, but again, a really good start and a great foundation for him to push on. Yeah, I'd just add to that that I thought he did as well, absolutely as well as he could have expected to, to do because... 
there was very little support around him. You know, as, as alluded to before, it, the, we didn't really have a midfield, so it, it was never going to be the easiest evening for him. So one of the things I noticed about Tabernet's performance was defensively. So I thought all their attacking threat came down the right-hand side when their fullback was bombing on, and Adji almost completely failed to go with his man, whereas Tabernet was much better at tracking, and they, they didn't have as much threat down our left. Um, the second goal, that came from the fullback overlapping and then and then crossing it in. Um, and I think, you know, Mello was beaten by Nevitt in the air for a, a very close-range header. Is there anyone else thinking the keeper should be coming for that? Initially, last night, at the ground, yes. Having watched it back, I'm not sure there's much blame on the keeper at all. To me, if you watch it, Mello's got his man five seconds before it comes in and then does his Trent Alexander-Armstrong impression and has a look at somebody in the crowd or something. And um, before we know it, Nevitt's five yards off the back of him and has got a run on him. Um, to me, the ball isn't quite as near the goal as I we thought it was from behind the other goal last night. Um, and he's six, seven yards out, isn't he, when he heads it? So, um, to me, the, the goalkeeper's been removed from the equation a little bit by by the the, the way the ball stood up. And um, and the fullback's got not, not concentrating, is he? Did you say Trent Alexander-Armstrong there? I think maybe Arnold. his poor performances are because he's also <laughs> presenting pointless. Um, and yet, the, the, the third goal was a bit of a nightmare as well, wasn't it? Um, I mean, it looked like it was a deflection. Nevitt was completely unmarked. Um, another we, poor goal. We were halfway up, up Prenton Park Road by that stage, so we'd had enough. Mark, were you still watching at that point, or had you given up as well? No, I was still watching. Um, I think what was key for me more than the goal itself, because it was a poor goal, but it's the body language afterwards. You know, the players, are, their heads are down. They're, they're walking slowly back to the centre circle. And that's far too reminiscent of last season for me. Um, and I'm worried. I'm worried that that's got the potential to become a trend again. I don't think we can underestimate that. Um, we've all sort of said that Alex Morris has stopped the rot from last year. Um, and to a degree, I think that's right. But I wonder how much it would take for that to set back in because it's still so raw. Tramir came into it four wins on the trot without conceding. Are we willing to just sort of say they're a pretty good team for this level? No. Fair enough. <laughs> any any positives, Tom? I, I, I think the form they were in, it was always going to be a difficult game, this one. Um, that's not to say I expected us to get turned over 3-0. I think we, we were predicting a kind of one-all draw before the match started. I think what was kind of disappointing for me was that, you know, we weren't expecting to outscore them, but we just didn't really compete. And I think there were a few turning points in the game. I think had Baker Richardson's one-on-one -on -one gone in, the outcome might have been different. Possibly not, because they were peppering our goal with shots in the second half anyway and, and, and it might have been 3-1 rather than 3-0 but uh, you know, nevertheless I think our, our heads went down after Baker Richardson missed that opportunity and, and the rock was set in at that point So where do we go from here Tom? How, how, do, we, uh, how do we change it? How do we create more? I think it's, it's tricky because it's not obvious where the creativity is coming from. I mean we, we obviously seem to lack a deep lying midfielder who can spray some passes around the pitch I think we are kind of seeing where we miss Callum Ainley now because we don't seem to have anybody else that can play in that position, as, as ineffective as Callum you know, may have been for, for portions of the previous few matches. 
So you know, we, we, we need to find a way of kind of unlocking some more chances for the strikers. I think with Ajay and Baker Richardson in the team, you know, we've got a chance there. And I think that was the first clear chance I can remember Baker Richardson actually missing last night. So... You know, I think if we can get some service to those guys, then we've got half a chance to score some goals. Yeah, just to jump in there, I agree with you, Tom, there, that we do. We, we need a focal point in that, at the attacking head of that midfield, if you like. We are obviously grounded in, in possession football on the ground, zipping passes and one-touch football and stuff. And I think that's what we are absolutely crying out for at the moment. And whether that answer is Callum Ainley when he's back fit, you know, on his days, he's great at that, but it's not always his day, is it, unfortunately? But I thought last night in particular, and, and as well as several of the other games recently, we are absolutely crying out for somebody who can make that ball stick when it goes to the point of the diamond up there. And... Um, and, and move the ball, prod it through to, to the guys scoring the goals. It's not for the first time, but I think it was more apparent last night than ever. I was watching the game and, and struggling to figure out what we were trying to achieve. Like, what was the plan? What was the... Um, were we trying to get it out wide and get it into the box? Were we trying to play through? Were we trying to go long? It seemed to be that there was nothing. And it seems, watching it, that... that we're hoping to create something rather than trying to create something. So we're going long to the forwards and hoping we can pick a second ball up and, and play from there. Um, before we started this, I had a look uh, back through the fixtures this season and we've had 37 shots on target in 13 games, which is abysmal, really. Um, only twice against Harrogate and Crawley, we've had five shots on target. The rest of the time, it's been largely twos and threes. Um, uh, obviously Salford away was a zero where we can forgive that because of the circumstances I think but last night was zero um, officially and it's easy to see where the problem lies I think we've got to somehow try to create our own chances right it, it, it looks sometimes like the, the three forwards are having to try and create chances for themselves rather than working as a team so it, it the, the, the missing link is in the middle, I think, but quite what you fill those gaps with, I'm not sure. I think, um, I mean, certainly with the fullbacks, looking at Tranmere and how their fullbacks really did cause us problems, and then you look at how Rio and Kelvin, how did they do that for us? I can only think of really one time where Rio got a crossing, got forward and got a crossing in the second half, um, and then in the first half, Kelvin got forward a little bit, but not a lot at all. Um, and added to that we've then got unorthodox square pegs in round hole wingers who again sometimes look like they don't know what they're doing out there um, and again I, I just think the fullbacks are really key to this and again Morris talked midweek about getting more players into attacking positions um, and I think the fullbacks are key to that I don't think Rio's offered that enough whether that's a fitness thing um, perhaps and then again, Kelvin, we, we saw that in the first few games when he came back. Kelvin did get forward, albeit with limited success, but he was getting into those four positions. But that's really gone away in, in recent matches. Um, and I think that's costing us. We've not got full-backs overlapping these unorthodox wingers. So I think we are struggling. Centrally, there's no link either. So how, are, how is Baker Richardson going to get a chance? And the main chance he did get 
um, was from Connor Thomas sort of lumping a ball up into a channel really um, which again interesting we've seen Thomas and King get quite a lot of stick in recent games about playing conservative and going back but the only real clear-cut chance came from Connor Thomas lumping it into a channel on, for Richardson to run onto. Any more thoughts on Tranmere guys before we we wrap it up? Yeah, what I want to say, um, we were talking about this earlier before you got here, and I just want to know what everybody else's opinion is. Last night after the game, Pete Morse was talking about um, Alex Morris sort of knowing some of these players from when they walked into the under sixes, under sevens. He was coaching them then, and he's coaching them in the first team now. Um, and allegedly, um, Alex Morris has had a few quid to spend this summer, more than usual. Um, and that, to me, is very reminiscent of what we were saying about Steve Holland. He was a top coach. He knew the players inside out. He'd coached them for I don't know how many years. Um, he made some decent-looking signings at the time as they came in. I'm not saying when they started, but when they were signed, there weren't too many complaints. And he couldn't get a tune out of 11 players no matter what he did. Um, and I'm worried that we're potentially going to go the same way. I think, I think it's a relevant point, Mark. Um, I, I would also say that oddly as well, and this, this sounds like I'm disagreeing with you, but I'm not, is that there's a lot of these players that aren't necessarily our academy kids as well. We, we must be at a, a certain modern, modern low, really, for the numbers of our academy kids that we've got in the side. But I agree in that almost you can, I think, almost be too close. And I, and I think that you, you, you genuinely have a point in that there are there are a lot of um, indicators that are, are very similar to 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 you know however many a decade ago or however long ago it was when Steve was was the manager. Um, I don't I don't know what the answer is, but it, it is a relevant point. Let's hope we don't go down Gudgeon's uh, road afterwards. Eh? Well, whatever the answer is or isn't, I don't think it certainly isn't the way we're playing now. We're not creative, we're not exciting. Um, where we were previously hard to beat, that disappeared last night. So, I mean, I, I'm not sure what the fix is, but then it's not my job to know what the fix is. Uh, absolutely. You made a really, really good point, actually, um, because the way that crew have always played is that it's been open, it's football, attacking football, um, and um, we, we've gone gone away from that a little bit, and and as as bad as it got under the Artel at the end of the Artel days, at least we were trying still trying to play football, which I'm not sure is where we're at currently. And you know that that's maybe a point for another day or another pod. Fair play. All right. Well, that wraps things up about the Tranmere game. Coming up. We'll have some Crew Alex-related poetry and we'll be talking about the upcoming fixtures against Tranmere and Doncaster. OK, moving on to uh, the games to come. It's Tranmere at home in the Football League trophy next. Uh, Mark, we lost to Bolton in the first group game. Uh, are you going to be going to this one? Yeah, I'm people booing at me now, no doubt, listening to this, but um, I am going. Um... I don't care about the result, but I do care about the performance. I want to see um, a change side, although there is a temptation for me that to make those 11 go out and try again. 
Um, but then that achieves nothing. I think I just want to see some of the uh, the players that are trying to get in the first team and gauge an idea of how close they are or not. Um, so, yeah, I'll be going, and it's performance over result. I really couldn't care less whether we win, lose or draw. Tom, is it a priority for you, Tuesday's game? Revenge, isn't it? What, what better way to bounce back from a poor result than playing the same team again? <laughs> <laughs> who cares? <laughs> James, who would you like to see feature on Tuesday? Um, in terms of personnel, you know, I'm, I'm not really that bothered. I think I want to see a formation that perhaps we want to try because we have been chopping and changing a little bit in these first team league games. Um, so I'd, I'd like to see the formation mixed up. If Morris wants to try something, it's a perfect opportunity to do so. Um, like Mark said, I'd be tempted to keep quite a few of the first team lads in that did play against Tranmere um, to try and instill that confidence that's clearly gone missing because um, that, that seems to be a massive issue, confidence. Um, so yeah, I mean, is it an opportunity to maybe try something different formation-wise? I, I think it's a perfect opportunity. Um, as I said, we've been we've been mixing it up halfway through the second half when we're chasing a goal. Um, so why not try it now? As we've, as we've already discussed, you know, we've got sort of unorthodox players in slightly square peg round hole situations. So why not try something else that maybe that might the opportunity work? to go to a front two with Adji and. Baker Richardson absolutely so we did well it looked like we were going to try that against Tranmere and then it sort of ended up in a three or a, f a five even um, so yeah I think it is a good opportunity to do that or perhaps an opportunity to play Tabman essentially in a ten where perhaps slightly less pressure but again someone who can come into that Ainley role and be that link I'd almost argue that um, unlike last season, we've almost got the personnel to play a 3-5-2. Whereas, you know, last year, Artel persevered and persevered and persevered, come what may, he was playing 3-5-2 and didn't necessarily have the personnel. But I, I would say, arguably now, we've probably got the personnel to play that way, and yet we're not. But why not try it? What? You know, what's the worst that could happen? It couldn't be worse than last night, whatever. And it's only the Pizza Cup, isn't it? So, The last time I did a podcast following a game, um, it's, it's a few weeks ago now, and the talk amongst us was, could Alex Morris uh, solve this problem where we were only playing well for one half? Um, well, he's, he's managed to cure that because we're awful now for both. <laughs> um, so I'd like to see his return to at least seeing 45 minutes worth of decent football. So after Tranmere midweek, we have Doncaster Rovers at home on Saturday. To get the lowdown from the Keepmoat Stadium perspective ahead of Saturday's match, Stu spoke to Daniel Ladoni fan. So I'm joined now by Daniel. Hello, Daniel. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Not a problem. Uh, now, this is your first time with us. We normally have Adam from the Into the Empty Net podcast to discuss Doncaster. Uh, he was unavailable this week and he said that you come highly recommended. So can you just give us a bit about you and Doncaster Rovers, please? Yeah, I was actually looking into this the other day. Um, it's coming up to my like 30th year of following the club. My first game was uh, quite ironically Halloween in uh, 1992. So seen a few horror shows over the years. Um, but yeah, it's actually coming up to a a 30-year anniversary, if you oh, like. Wow. So, um, yeah, I've seen plenty over the years. Uh, some good, largely bad at times. But, um, yeah, it's um, 
you know, you have to follow your club, don't you? Whatever happens. I was going to say congratulations, but I think Doncaster have had a fairly similar recent history to Crew, so uh, maybe congratulations is the wrong word. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, building on that, then Doncaster came down with Crew last year. Were the expectations at the start of the season to be challenging for an immediate return, or was this a season of consolidation, rebuilding? Yeah, I think there's quite a mixed um, batch of opinions, really. I think the general consensus and the message coming out of the club was about promotion. Um, having said what I've just said about following it for 30 years, I was a little bit more uh, wary of it. I think um, the last 20 years, this is only our third season in League Two. So obviously the team I grew up with was pretty much a bottom division team and we had like our court heroes um but we were generally pretty bad and you know we had the odd good result but generally just kind of floating around that bottom division and sort of hoping you didn't get relegated into the conference which obviously happened at one point but since we've come back obviously we've seen quite a lot of success in relative terms um for two previous years we've been in this league we've been promoted straight away so the year we got back into the Football League under Dave Penny. We kind of swept it away and won the league. Then under Darren Ferguson last time, a little bit indifferent to start with, but once we got into our stride, um, you know, the beginning and end was quite poor, but the in-between, we won so many matches, uh, we got automatic promotion again. So I think um, the general consensus was we'd perhaps come down and find it nice and straightforward and just get promoted again but I do watch quite a bit of lower league football generally um, not just our own games um, and from what I'd seen of League 2 last season it seemed a lot different to the last time we were in it you know a lot more it's always competitive but I think the team's been a lot more organised sort of set up to stop you from scoring and you generally lack those sort of players that can unlock the door um, when you find yourselves in that bottom division. So I thought it might be difficult with teams coming, defending and us trying to break them down. But we've actually had the opposite problem that teams have actually, I think they've looked at us and thought there's not a huge amount um, we've got to fear here and actually playing quite direct against us. Um, we're really struggling with um, winning headers at both ends and doing that um, dirty stuff, if you like, that League Two managers speak about. Um, I've heard Paul Hurst talking a little bit recently, Grimsby sort of doing a lot better away than they do at home, and him talking about those things. Um, he's kind of spoke that down, that actually there's not a difference between playing home and away, which you kind of do when you're struggling at home. But actually, those things that make you good away, if you like, are the things I think you need generally in League Two, and we're just we're lacking in all those areas. So I think if you're not giving yourselves a platform to sort of win games from, I just think you get into like a battle with the opposition. And if you're not sort of set up to be better than them at what they're doing, you kind of come in off second best. And I think that's what's happened recently, like yesterday, Carlisle um, at Hartley, Paul and Barrow. We just, we're not sounding like you know the games I've not been to sound like the games I have been to so we're not kind of doing those basics very well okay so you just mentioned the Carlisle loss on Saturday um 3-0 one point in three games 
Now, I'm worried that this next question is going to be out of date by Saturday, but what is the current opinion on Gary McSheffrey, the Doncaster manager? Yeah, it's um, it's not positive is probably the uh, politest way of putting it. Um, I think we had a, a really good start in terms of the points. Um, we got six games in. We played a lot of teams that I thought would be there or thereabouts. Um, again, obviously, we've not been in the division, so you kind of, you know, you read around and you look around and, you know, we started at Bradford, who I thought would be up there. Um, with teams like Stockport and Salford early on, who I thought would be up there. We went to Wimbledon, who I actually thought of all of us, who got relegated, possibly we're in the best shape. Not that that was saying much. Um, <laughs> probably about, you know, ourselves and yourselves and, and Julian unnecessarily. But we had a few games and I thought uh, Northampton away. Um, so to come out with 14 points you're thinking well hang on a minute and maybe I was a bit guilty thinking maybe I've actually sort of overestimated the difficulty if you like maybe we are going to find it a bit more straightforward but since that we um, lost three in a row and there was quite a lot of negative reaction which I thought was a bit of an overreaction losing three in a row but then like you say the last three games again We've got one point and we really should have lost to Orient last Saturday as well. Um, so that could have been another three in a row. So I think it's fair to say, um, although the reaction when you lose a few in a row is the manager's got to go. And I'm not really like that myself. I think the more that you do that, you know, the more you're putting yourself on edge. And I think... Even in those games, we were getting points early on. I think against Sutton, we scored twice in stoppage time to win 2-1. We were 2-0 down at Wimbledon with a couple of minutes to go and drew. Uh, we scored a last-minute winner against Stockport, who had 10 men for a large part of that game. So you could argue now, looking back, that actually we didn't play all that well in some of the games we've won and now or drew. Um, and now the results have turned and the performances are the same, um, it's not a good mix. So Doncaster currently solidly mid-table, 12th, just one place above crew in 13th. So there has been some good play this year, because, uh, you know, mid-table's not the bottom. Uh, I picked out George Miller. He's got six goals, two assists so far this season. Is he the one we should be looking out for, or is that possibly unfair on other players in the squad? Yeah, and I think um, slightly ironic that, you know, I think Miller is a sort of forward. You could build a good League Two team around, but he has been the kind of sort of focal point in every sense, obviously for the attacks, but also I think the way the team is playing. Um, there seems to be this consensus that we are playing long ball. Um, and I think, although there are a lot of long balls, I don't actually think that is the way McSheffrey wants to play. But I think in games that we have tried to be a bit more expansive and and play a bit more football, if you like, it just hasn't worked. And I think he has had a long injury list. Um, you know, I've defended him to a point. I think if you are missing your key players, and it's it's difficult, isn't it, in the bottom division to play total football. So I think he's thought a lot of these teams we're playing against are quite direct. Um, quite physical um, if we can sort of match that you then hope that your better players um, can come into it and I still think yesterday 
you know, they scored right on half time. And then two relatively early in the second half, you know, if that's nil-nil after an hour, actually, you know, who knows? We might have actually won the game, which I know it sounds ridiculous because it could have been five or six at the end. Um, but same with Hartlepool, like we were awful for an hour, but we got ourselves level and actually they started to panic a bit because they hadn't won for a while and it was there to be won. So I can kind of see the way he's gone with that. Um, but Miller, um, although he is the focal point of the attack, you know, he's much better sort of trying to play on the shoulder and getting through on goal. And he is a natural finisher, whereas he has been used quite a bit to try and compete with two or three, you know, big centre-backs most weeks. And it's just not his sort of skill, if you like, to, to win those headers. So he can do the job because he'll run all day and he'll, he'll chase lost causes, which I think over the years, that is a prerequisite of being a Donny forward. But equally, we're not probably playing to his strengths. And then, you know, two of the players that caught my eye, uh, Bobby Faulkner, who just turned 18 recently at the back, who is a bit of an old school defender. And he does chuck himself in front of stuff and dives in. You know, he's a little bit last ditch, but I think he's had to be the way we played this year. And Kyle Hurst, who's quite a skillful sort of forward runner with the ball. Um, you know, he gets us sort of up the pitch and he's somebody who gets the ball and you actually, you know, he excites you. You know, that, those two were left out yesterday and, you know, he tried a different system again. Um, he brought Tom Anderson straight back in. He's been injured for a long time and he doesn't quite look right. So, you know, I think McSheffrey's guilty of... Um, he hasn't got a clear identity of play. He keeps chucking the balls up in the air because the results aren't going. And, you know, depending which way they land is how he's going about it. Um, if we do okay with what he does when he makes changes, he sticks with that the week after. But I think, you know, the way football's gone, teams just see what you did, don't they, the week before and go, right, well, if that's what they're going to do, we'll set up for that. And then, you know, I think he's just backed the wrong horses at times. He's, he's loyal to to players who've, who are not sort of playing consistently well. And he's leaving out some of the younger players who I think, you know, when you're struggling, if you play some of the younger lads who are going out and leaving everything out there, you know, at least that gives supporters something to go on. But I think it was quite telling yesterday that the radio Sheffield reporter who's followed Donny for many years put it to McSheffrey that, you know, are they still playing for you? And rather than coming out defiantly and, you know, as you know, managers can get a bit shirty after games and sort of saying, you know, what you're talking about and, you know, taking offence to the question, he kind of conceded that he'd asked the same question. And I think if the reporter and the manager are both kind of hinting at the same thing, then there can't be any real longer term future in it unless he miraculously sort of turns the performances and results around in the next few weeks which on the face of it doesn't look likely Daniel I've got one last question and then I'm going to let you go what will the score be on Saturday it's an interesting one isn't it I think we're both in quite a similar position aren't we I think last year we were like sort of very neck and neck um, in terms of the race to the bottom the race to the bottom and, and that game at your place kind of summed it up, didn't it? I mean, the only positive from us was we kind of went behind 
and, and got back into it because as soon as we conceded the first goal last year, we looked like we were going to lose. But um, yeah, and again, you look at the table and it's 12th against 13th. Um, both teams are like kind of desperate for a win, but seem incapable, don't they? So um, based on last year and, and the start to this year, probably one each isn't, um, isn't a bad shout. But the fact that I couldn't even tell you if our manager is going to be there or not and what sort of style we'll play if he is or if he isn't um, and the way we went about it yesterday. Um, you know, if you're looking for a home win, then we can't be probably far off the opposition you'd be looking for. But then we are, you know, the other week we went to Rochdale and um, I know they've been struggling, but they have actually won every other game other than the game we've been there recently. And we, you know, without being spectacular, just kind of grinded a, a win out with Miller sort of quite prominent. So, you know, if, if we, if our players actually, you know, sort of get the ball down and play and we create Miller chances, you know, we, I think it is that sort of division, isn't it? Everyone can be everyone. Newport went to Orient, who were top and hadn't lost and, and won. Then they had Rochdale at home, who I think hadn't won at that point and they lost to them. So, you know, I think, you know, anything could happen between now and Saturday and Saturday. But yeah, I'll go for the steady old prediction of one each. Perfect. Daniel, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. So, Mark, El Crapico on Saturday. Looking forward to that one? No, it's uh, approaching it with a trepidation a little bit. Um I just want to, I know it's not my job to ask questions, um, but I'm going to steal your thunder a bit here because I'm not sure I know the answer and I wonder what the thoughts are. What would you prefer Saturday? Would you prefer a win and play terribly or is the performance more important and you see us try and get back to playing some kind of football? For me, at, at this stage, we need a win. I don't care if it's scrappy. I don't care if the football's terrible. Um, I want to see a win, and again, that instills the confidence that we can we can then, hopefully, again, try and start to play more football. Um, but I'd rather do that with three points on the board than lose after a good performance. And for Morris, to have to try and pick it up again. And I think we are at a bit of a turning point now, where the honeymoon period for Morris does seem to be over. Um, there's a little bit um, of moans and groans from the crowd. I didn't actually stay till the final whistle at Tranmere so I can't tell you if there were boos um, there are a smattering of boos apparently um, so yeah I think we're a bit of a, a bit of a turning point so I'd, I'd, I think we need a win however that comes I really don't care um, so yeah three points please Steve three points for you and a bad performance or a good performance and a defeat I'm with James there in that three points is everything I think particularly at this stage where we're potentially at a turning point you know, we'd all like to see free-flowing football where we win four-nil, and you know, it's a twenty-pass move that 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 you know the, that one of the goals comes from. But it's about points. It's a results business, isn't it? And um, you can, alluding back to what I, what we said earlier, that um, you can almost forgive the dour performances if you're winning one-nil. I'd take one-nil now. It's quite telling, though, I have to say, that in mid-October, in a sort of mid-table match in League Two, 
you two have just talked about it as if it's a must win. I, I, I think that, yeah, it's a good point, actually, Mark, and thanks for throwing me that curveball. Um, but <laughs> um, I, I, I wouldn't so much say must win, but it would be more than bloody useful if he did because I think that from a philosophy point of view, we've all accepted, or certainly on the pod, that we've accepted that we have to stop that rot and we have to stop conceding stupid goals and, and all of that and being hard to beat. But that can only stretch so far if you're not winning those games 1-0 or at least getting a point. I think that we, we, we have to remember it is a results business and, yeah, it, it, it's, yeah thanks for the curveball. So, Tom, uh, last season's home game against Doncaster was universally accepted as one of the worst games in the history of the sport. Um, are we expecting the same again on Saturday? Yeah, I have fond, fond memories of that one because I remember we, you know, we were all hopeful that the uh, long winless streak was going to end at that one against Rock Bottom Donny and uh, both sides proceeded to churn out the worst football match, I think, in living memory. So um, it's, it can only be better than that, can't it, really? I've got fond memories of playing Doncaster because obviously the away game last season at their place was the last game before Dave Artell got sacked and it all turned a bit nasty. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it can't, doesn't have to get too much better to be better than either of those two games last season. I think one thing that it's important to remember, and this is sort of siding on Alex Morris's side now, and we sometimes forget this, that we'll be walking up to Gresty um, Road on that Saturday, seeing it as a, a game that we, I don't know, should, could win but Doncaster will be seeing it exactly the same their fans will rock up to our ground and so will their team and, and look at our recent history of results and think exactly the same um, we should be beating these so uh, I think to answer my own question I'm probably more in the result camp um, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if, to, if we got like a 1-0 win and people weren't happy at the end if we play anything close to how we have been I'll just put it out there that I would be surprised if we got a 1-0 win. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else from, uh, from the Doncaster game, fellas? James, you look like you're keen to jump in here. Oh, no, here we go. Um, I always find the Doncaster fixture a really good sort of measure of where we're at because we do sort of seem to follow each other around in recent times. Um, so, yeah, it, it'll just be interesting to see where, that, where, we're, where we're at, where they're at. Obviously, they're four points, I think, uh, ahead of us in the league. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where we're at. Obviously, they will have had turnovers just like we have. Um, we've seen how we got on against Gillingham, one of the other relegated sides. So, yeah, interested to see how we measure up. It's a good point, that Both Dawes and Doncaster are doing a hell of a lot better than Gillingham and Wimbledon, the other two sides that have come down. Do we think that it's more a case that people are, are more unhappy with the way that we're playing rather than results? Because I, I wonder... If we'd have been asked if we'd be happy with 17 points after 13 games and sitting 13 after last season, how many of us would have said, honestly, said, yeah, uh, in August? I, I think most people would have been happy with that. So I think it's the way that we're playing more than the results, do you not think? Yeah. I think, I, I think it's a combination. Obviously, it's that we are playing poorly and it's not entertaining. But when you do look at stats and it's one winning nine or whatever it is, and that if we lose against Tranmere, even though it's not in the league, that's one in ten, and then we lose Doncaster, one in eleven. So it does start to look very bad, and it 
turns quickly, I imagine. But yeah, I mean, personally, if you gave me this position at the start of the season, absolutely, snap your hand off. So yeah, it's, it's a fickle game, as we know. Yeah, there's there's a certain amount of the manner in which we we are or we have achieved those points at this stage. I think it's a little bit alien to us as crew fans, isn't it? You know, pick, you know, keeping it tight and um, and scoring the odd goal here and there. Um, I think last night was was as bad as it was, which which kind of possibly clouds our our thoughts a little bit as well. I think also, given the experience of last season, we've become more conditioned to looking down than looking up, and it doesn't take much to put us in that fear of uh, of falling quickly mode. Um, Absolutely relevant point. Yeah. I, I do feel that the Donny game might be a bit of a kind of turning point in many respects, because if we lose that, then we'll most definitely be looking down. If we win that, we might see Tranmere as a bit more of a blip and you know, I think any crew fan, if you'd offered them at the start of the season, solid mid-table finish, hard to beat, not conceding too many goals, we'd have taken that all day long. Absolutely. How far do you think we are from the the crowd turning? If we if we go a goal down early on Saturday, are we at the stage where people start uh, giving Morris abuse in the in the ground? Will will things start to get ugly, or are we still away from that? You were at Tranmere last night, Tim. I, I think that there was a there was a sizable minority at. at maybe a little bit more that were less than amused let's say um, I thought particularly as the second half wore on I thought that that uh, minority grew significantly and I think that there was some unrest if that's the right word um, within the crowd uh, and I, I, I think that it almost ha- I would argue that last night almost has to become a turning point, point a focal point for where we start to to play a bit more because I think that had we have been losing a few games where we've been trying to really really play and sticking to pure principles, he may have had a little bit more um, time and a little bit more patience amongst the uh, the crowd. But I, I I can't see that he'll get a lot more patience if we're trying to uh, if we're not playing the football like last night. So, welcome back to the Railwaymen podcast here live at Crew Market Hall. I'm joined now by a couple of special guests. I've got Gareth Williams. Welcome, Gareth. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Fantastic to be here. And Scott Kennersley. Hi, Scott. Hi, Tim. Hi, everyone. So, Gareth, I'll start with you. Um, you're writing a book of poetry all about crew. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about how that came about. Yeah, excellent. Thank you very much. It's, it's great to be here. The passion and enthusiasm around this table is really, really good. So uh, I wanted to capture that, really, as part of this poem I've created. Um, thank you very much. I have written a book called Stories About Crew Nantwich. So I'm a 41-year-old geezer now, 80s child, 81. I thought, OK, I wanted to write a book that was taking the, the creativity that I seem to have been... <laughs> blessed with I guess and write a book that really talks about crew Nantwich in a really positive light you know we're stood or sat in this fantastic building here in crew which is such a positive news story of course and the redevelopment of crew and we all too often see perhaps two negative stories about the town which we all love adore and the, and the football club that we're all here to discuss today so as part of that story and that journey you know I couldn't possibly write a book about crew Nantwich without you know crew Alexandra being part of that book it's 
it's such a special place for so many people. And I approached Mark Bevan, of course, you guys know very well, who was up to, you know, really open to this initiative of, of, of reaching out to you guys as supporters and really being able to get under the skin a little bit, which is why I really appreciate the time we've shared with yourself, Tim, and your brother, and, and, and Scott, and many others, of course, a, a few games, uh, as well as a couple of pints as well, to really understand and get on, you know, under the skin of what the club really means to you. And um, yeah, try and put something together which I hope you would be proud of. So, and that's what we're here for today, really. I guess uh, today will be the, the judge. Brilliant. <laughs> well, well, we'll hear the poem in, in, in a minute. But what, what other poems are in, in, in the book? Yeah, thank you. So one of the one of the poems is about this very floor we're, we're, we're sat on here. So when this um, building was opened, maybe 18 months ago now, I was asked to create something for the town council and from the management of this uh, building. So that's one of the poems. It talks about all the history that this floor has seen, and that was received really well. It's actually on the history, uh, uh, the heritage wall at the other end of the building, which is great. I've worked in the last 12 months with the NHS. I've written stuff for uh, shows for the BBC in terms of, of being asked onto the local radio for BBC Stoke, which has been brilliant. I've really had some fantastic support and, and, and been involved with, with, with poems uh, that I've read there. Um, this week I was involved in the Words and Music Festival. I wrote a poem which really was the, the, the crux of, of really going somewhere, really, um, about a guy called Joseph Locke, which was the engineer that said, right, guys, this is where we're putting the train station wrote a poem, filmed it myself at Crew Train Station. Not long after that, HS2 management and marketing board got in touch with me, said, we love it, can we come and record it? Sent a production company up from London, I think, from where they were, microphones, cameras, the lot. That really, you know, was the traction, you know, pun intended. We gave, it really you know, gave some momentum, I guess, to the book that I started to pull together and 50 poems later, we're here so it, it touches crew baths it talks about the park queen's park you know what many people in this town call our people's park fantastic uh, natural environment for people of course that park and such special memories for so many people as indeed the football club has so that's what i wanted to try and pick up on well with uh, with no further ado can we can we hear the poem we can indeed be rude not to wouldn't it so um i called this poem our grass and ground um it's really about trying to step inside what a real fan looks like. So I hope the listeners can perhaps nod away at this and somehow see some relevance of this. So here we go. Our grass and ground. This is where you'll find us on Saturday afternoons. A place our dads first took us to join in and sing Blue Moon. The seats we've wrapped up warm on watching from this stand. A whole life loving supporting you, but something never planned. A sea of 90s retro shirts bobbing down Gresty Road. L.C. Charles and Bolden James, reminiscent of days gone old. Nipping into Benny's chip shop for our pre-match little treats before turning up to turnstiles to take our season ticket seats. The ritual of pulling down personal perching places to pray and hope and wish that we would play with grace and pace and grace. A beautiful green carpet lit up by dazzling piercing lights. This pitch has seen some scrappy fights on wet and windy winter nights. Yes, this is our proper club, and no, we don't support United. Since we were likely lads, this stand is where we'd stand to get excited. Platt, Lunt, Lennon, Johnson, Ashton, Mark Rivers and Rodney Jack. Just a handful of past plucky players who could score, press and attack. The pitch is full of action, drenched in pheromones and sweat stand sound of deep-filled conversations 
where the community connects. Where strangers become 90 minute segment friends and relationships transcend. Where we discuss last match odds and ends through a football pundit's lens. A derby win as the whistle blows, a jubilant cheerful crowd start exiting the ground, leaving rooftop views across the town. The familial passing of the railwayman's baton so as not to stand alone, to become the dream inside our hearts, a love of our very own. Excellent, Gareth. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. No, no, really, thank really you. Good. Thank you for the warm reception. Thank you. So, Gareth, I believe uh, with the poem, you want some support from the Cruelic supporters um, to help read the poem, or? That's right, yeah. So, so I really want the poem to be owned by the club. And the best way of doing that with speaking to Mark, yourself and Scott is to get the supporters on a, a match to be agreed in the future, in the next two to three weeks, I guess, to, to film it down at Gresty Road, of course, and to um, in the stands. So I'd really like any fan that wants to be involved, who is involved in the club and, and supported them and finds some resonance in that poem, to email me, really, to get involved. And, and we can get that filmed and you can take a line, a verse, and I'll be filming that, editing it together. I'll even be putting together like a spoof one as well which I think will be really good share with you guys to, to put round I'm sure there's going to be loads of uh, you know uh, anti-bloomers type uh, to, you know uh, you've been framed parts as well so yeah if you want to get involved please do email me it's gareth at rhymology.co.uk um, and it'd be great to get as many people all ages everyone is welcome we want this to be really represent the full club as, divi as, as, as diverse a club as, as the club is of course and um it'd be fantastic to get everyone involved well we'll put a, uh, a link to your email address in the description of this podcast um, and then when we are actually going to coordinate it and get everyone together on a match day we'll publicise the date as well great fantastic thank you guys thanks for coming um, just before we go tell us when's the book out where can we get hold of it the book, thank you very much, is, is Stories of Crew Nantwich. It should be out within the next three to four weeks. Um, I'm hoping that, the, speaking through Mark, that we may be able to get it into the shop maybe and support maybe that book as well. That'd be fantastic. It's going to be available at Waterstones and Crew, Nantwich Bookshop and a host of other businesses. Um, collaboration has really been at the heart of this book. So many local businesses are mentioned. Uh, and just like the club, it, it, it needs that support really. So thank you ever so much for allowing me on. And, um, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing how we can progress and, and how the book does and, and, and maybe working together again soon. Brilliant. That's Gareth Williams and his book, uh, Stories of Crew and Nantwich, is available soon. Thanks, Gareth. So, Scott Kinnersley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. We're here at Crew Market Hall. We're sitting outside the Railwomen Supporters Society booth. How's, how's sales going? Very good, very good. Um, better than we imagined to start with um, I think we've been in here five six weeks probably averaging 400 pound a week three grand's worth of sales um, we'd like to think they were new sales I think a good percentage are new sales um, but little stupid things like we've had a kid come in this morning with 30 pound off his mum to buy his dad some Christmas presents and that's popular market we've been missing out on with the club shop being so far away from the town centre. And it, it's fantastic to have a club presence in the town centre itself, isn't it? Definitely. And it's not all about sales. It's about people coming in, talking crew, having that focal point, inquiries. Hopefully, in the next couple of months, we'll be doing tickets from here, all being well. 
this week we've launched Click and Collect, so you can go on the official club website, um, buy your stock or your products that you want, and pick them up from here two days after you've bought them, I think it is. So it's just small steps going in the right direction, really. Absolutely. And um, I I bought a scarf. Uh, yeah, pop, that's how I got in, it, it. Very uh, high quality and uh, good value scarf. Um, so, yeah, do you think it's uh, helping make a connection with the, the people of the town? Definitely. Um, we've had be- we have people coming in, the same people coming in week in, week out just for a chat. We have new people coming in, and I think people, certain individuals are coming in to say hello now as part of their coming into town routine. It just, you know, it just gets people talking about the football club and um, what they love doing. Brilliant. And um, what other um, what other ventures is the Railman Supporter Society um, got on at the moment? Well, obviously we keep doing our food bank first stone game. I think it is of every month. A lot of our time and efforts have been down here. Um, we got ten or twelve volunteers, which we're very grateful for. Um, once we get that up to fifteen and get Christmas out of the way, we'll then move on to the next venture. But I think realistically, until Christmas. A lot of our time and efforts are going to be down here for the Christmas was. Um, and I think our next big one is Saturday the 25th of November. We've got the Christmas light switch on in the town centre. So once we know where we are in the FA Cup second round, if we get the FA Cup second round, <laughs> um, we'll be able to um, plan accordingly and get a bit of information out on social media about some big event down here. Super. Scott, remind us when's the uh, when these when's the opening hours for the, the opening hours are the old market always shut on a Monday Tuesday except the coffee shop at the top end so we're not allowed to open on a Monday and a Tuesday we're open one till four on a Wednesday four till seven Saturday, uh, Thursday ten a.m. till eight p.m. on a Friday open half ten till one o'clock on a Saturday when the Alice are at home and then twelve to three on a Sunday. Um, and one, obviously once we get more and more volunteers we'll be able to extend our opening hours longer each day um, and we're just waiting now for the next sort of venture down here so we had Kelvin Miller down here last Thursday where we signed nearly 40 photos in the end for the kids um, we should have another one at the end of this month but we're not going to do that because we've got the VIP for the junior membership at the end of November that's um, Thursday the, the 27th, 27th of October. So that's at, at the ground, That's at the football ground, yeah. So um, we can come on to that in a second. So hopefully one of the kids finish for their Christmas break. And I'm not sure off the top of my head what the day is. Just prior to Christmas, we'll get another player down here doing a signature session on the Thursday and tie it with late-night shopping. And hopefully bring a few fans down here and meet the favourite player wherever we may be able to get down here. Superb, wonderful. So t- tell us about the um, the open day for the junior members. Yeah, so the junior members have got their VIB open day on Thursday the 27th of October at the football ground starting at 10.30. So the Alex will do a full training session on the pitch until 12 o'clock. Uh, 12 o'clock, we're up in the Wikes Lounge behind the goal. We'll have a few things on the TV for them. Gresty of the Line will be there to entertain them. They will be having a dinner from um, the Chippy across the world. And the players will come in and have their dinner with them as well. We'll sit at the same tables with them. 
and then they'll do a player signature, a photo session, where all the juniors can go up to each player and get the signatures photo with him, and we'll get Chris to line on some of the photos as well, and hopefully give him a day to remember. Brilliant. That's uh, Scott Kinnersley. Scott, thanks very much no for coming to speak all. to Thank us. Thank you very much. Uh, Scott from the Railwaymen Supporter Society, and the uh, the stall is open now. Come down, see you there. So that's it from us. We will be back again next Monday with a normal podcast. Thanks very much from all of us here at Crew Market Hall. Thanks to James, Steve, and Mark and Tom. Thank you. Thanks Thank to Gareth you. Williams. Thank you. And thanks to Scott Kinnersley. Thanks to producer Dave. And thanks to you, listener. Goodbye. Dang, 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 ding, dong, ding, blue moon.